If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you've probably heard us mention that according to BMA figures, some junior doctors have had a 22% real terms pay cut in the last 10 years, and some consultants have had a 30% real terms pay cut in the last 10 years. But what can we actually do about it? Well, today we're joined by a group of doctors who are campaigning for full pay restoration to reverse those pay cuts. And this is a really important issue that affects not only us, but our colleagues, our patients and ultimately the NHS as well and I do think that the solution to this will come from us ordinary doctors like me or you that feel strongly enough about this to take action and taking action could be as simple as just telling your colleagues about the issue and talking about the issues right up to standing as a candidate for the people that we're going to talk to today so this feels like one of the most important podcasts we've recorded for a while and all of the links and how you can get involved is down below and I really encourage you to listen to this and if you agree with what they're saying just do something and if we all work together hopefully we can work this one out. The Medics Money podcast helps doctors, dentists and other professionals make better financial decisions. Hosted by myself, Dr. Tommy Perkins, a GP. And by me, Dr. Ed Cantelow, a GP, but also a chartered accountant and chartered tax advisor. This podcast is for general information only and does not constitute any form of advice and tax allowances and rates are subject to change. So I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast today by the team from Doctors Vote. Do you want to introduce yourselves to the Medics Money podcast listeners? Yeah. Hi, my name is Emma Runswick. I'm a junior doctor in psychiatry in the Northwest, and I am currently the chair of Northwest Regional Junior Doctors Committee, and I'm on BMA Council. Hi guys, I'm Devek Trivedi. I'm an anaesthetic trainee in the Northwest. I'm an LNC rep for the BMA at my trust at Wigan, and I've been involved with Dr. Vote in a few campaigns prior to that. Hi, I'm Tom. I'm a GP SD2 working in Cambridge. Got involved with Doctors Vote around the time they were getting people to be elected to the BMA UK Council and I was successful and I'm going to be taking up my seat there this month. Congratulations. So we mentioned Doctors Vote on the podcast a while ago, but for those that aren't aware, what is Doctors Vote and what problem are you trying to solve? So Doctors Vote is a kind of single issue campaign in the BMA for pay restoration. So it's a whole mixture of people. Some of us are very experienced in the BMA. Some of us are brand new to the BMA, all of whom want to use our union and use the power of trade unionism to win pay restoration. And when we say pay restoration, what we mean is restoration to the value of pay that we had in 2008 before austerity and the series of real terms pay cuts that we've had since then. And on average, for junior doctors, that's about 22.4% in real terms. So that's what Doctors Vote is about. It's been pretty successful so far. We have managed to organise ourselves into a slate for BMA Council, which is the National Executive Committee of the Union. And we have 25 people elected. If you include the people in the broad left, which is a more politically minded faction, which I'm in, there's 26 of us. So we now make a substantial proportion from the end of June. We'll make a substantial portion of the National Executive Committee of the BMA. And we're changing the direction of the union. Yeah, brilliant. I love what you're doing. We're going to get into that in detail later. We've covered this before, but you said that on average, junior doctors have had a 22.4% pay cut since 2008 in real terms. And some people might be sat there going, well, hold on, we had like a 1% pay rise last year, 2% the year before. You know, how's that a pay cut? So do you want to give us a brief explanation of the problem with inflation and pay? So yeah, since 2008, 
pretty much every year, inflation has been higher than our pay. So that means our buying power with our pay is less. So if our pay doesn't match inflation, that's a real terms pay cut. And this year alone, we know that inflation is about sort of 9, 10, even predicted to go up to 11%. And the pay award we've got from the previous contract negotiation is that it's only going to be 2%. So that's a 8 or 9% pay cut in real terms. Your, your pay will be worth, you know, 9% less than it was last year. That's the equivalent of working an entire month without pay. It's so, you know, the inflation is very, very important. And this is a real problem. We really are valued that significantly less than we were in 2008. And we're doing more work than we were in 2008. 100%. The job has definitely not gotten easier and the pay has gone down in real terms. And you're right, inflation is the cost of goods and services that you buy. And if they go up faster than your pay, that is a real terms pay cut. So if you're sat there thinking, why am I feeling the pinch? It's because of that. So it's really good to get that out there. One thing that I was wondering is, I'm showing my age here, I was an F1 in 2008. And back then, the first year I had heavily subsidized accommodation. So I think I paid about £700 total to live in hospital accommodation for the year. I had free parking. If you're on call at my hospital, you got food for free. And it was amazing. And also had a plan one student loan. And I paid an average of 1.1% interest on that. And now there's, if you're post 2012, you're on a plan two student loan, which is a totally different beast. So does those figures take into account of all those other factors, which have also kind of got worse? No. So the fact that so many other conditions have worsened for junior doctors in the UK is additional to the pay losses that we've suffered since 2008. It's not that long ago, any before you, that F1 accommodation was free. You know, it wasn't great quality, but it was free. So the introduction of charging and then its loss entirely was a significant attack and a pay loss for us, a real attack on our incomes and our outgoings. But the pay losses is just pay. We're just talking about pay. And if you think about the impact of just that pay loss on our lifetime earnings and indeed our pensions, it's even more significant. So the losses that we've suffered are quite incredible, but we'll have to come back to issues like accommodation, food at night and other terms and conditions issues because they're far more complex than the pay issue. At the moment, doctors vote are focusing on the pay issue. Yeah, definitely. The other issues are really complex, but I just think there's all those other factors, which, you know, I graduated with massive debt first in my family to go to medical working class family. Having accommodation for the year for 750 quid allowed me to pay down my credit card, which is, you know, amazing. And that gave me a real big head start. And I'm just conscious that the generation of doctors behind me are not having that head start, which is exactly why we're doing things like this which is so good that you guys are come on and, and doing this so you've obviously some of you are experienced campaigners within the bma some of you not but how did this start because medics money it's a kind of we started it because we were really frustrated with the lack of financial education for doctors and kind of related to the pay because i really struggled when i graduated because i was in really in debt and had no bailouts but how did you get started? Because I know how hard it is to do something like this and get momentum and you've seemingly done it. So I guess that there is some leading to Doctors Vote, which is that myself in the broad left and many others have been trying to organise campaigning about pay for some time. And if we're thinking about last year, the 2021 Junior Doctors Conference, many of us had organised around a pay 15 demand, which was picking up speed in lots of the NHS unions. And that debate was picked up on Reddit. And I'd never engaged with Reddit before, but the debate created some interest. And so those of us who were 
already trying to use the trade union movement to improve our working lives and our financial situation, began to engage with Reddit. And that's really where Doctors Vote picked up. And I did absolutely not start Doctors Vote. And maybe Vivek and Tom will be able to comment more about how it kicked off. I think kind of following on from what Emma said, there's been a lot of people frustrated with how the BMA hasn't arguably supported junior doctors' interests. And social media has advanced tremendously in front of our eyes. And that's basically where Doctors Vote came from. A group of junior doctors who had shared frustrations with how things were going and the status quo and wanted to make a change. And, you know, none of us are silly. The BMA is the largest union that doctors have, and we need them to fight our fight. But if they haven't been doing that for all this time, or at least we don't think they've been doing it effectively, what's the best way to get around that? And it's to make the BMA work for us. And so, you know, junior doctors got together, started chatting, and now it's become this huge movement with a great amount of support across all the nations, really. And kind of echoing what Emma said as well, Doctors Vote has picked up the most momentum recently, but there have been other campaigns to try and get junior doctor pay up. Like I was saying, the broad left have done a lot. There was a group called Medics for Pay Restoration, which kind of came on from broad left and some others that also tried to, to pick up traction. And now we're just really glad that Doctors Vote has been able to make a real solid, meaningful change and excited to see what happens now. I think there's been quite a lot of enthusiasm around the council elections because it's an opportunity that only happens every four years to really quite dramatically change the leadership of the BMA. And we've been successful in doing that. Yeah, I mean, I said this before in the podcast, I think you guys have been politically very astute because as Vivek says, whether you like it or not, the BMA are the solution to this. They are our union. And you guys could have formed a focus group or a pressure group or something and would that have worked? But instead, you've essentially inserted candidates sympathetic to your agenda into the BMA council. And that is a way to drive change. Have I got that right? Because you mentioned earlier you had 25 candidates. So for those not familiar with the internal way the BMA works like why was that a smart move and how does it all work yeah I think Emma can answer Emma's got a lot more experience with the BMA but just to add that all of our candidates the only thing we ask of them as doctors vote is that they're 100% committed to achieving full pay restoration by whatever means available to them and the means that are available within the BMA you know we don't have a majority in the council we could perhaps if we'd started a little earlier we may have been even more successful but we're a very diverse political slate otherwise we're all pro pay restoration and there's lots and lots and lots of doctors out there who agree with us we actually had many more candidates than were elected but not all were successful so we have 26 between the broad left and doctors vote and there are 69 council members overall who have a vote so we're a significant block and that means that we're going to have a significant say in the senior leadership team so talking about the chair of council who's the equivalent of a trade union general secretary and the deputy chair of council. Both are elected from BMA council at, at the very end of June. And we will direct as BMA council the overall industrial strategy for the union. Those who have junior doctor's seats, all five junior doctor seats were taken by doctor's vote candidates, including myself, will go to junior doctor's committee, which directs the industrial strategy specifically for junior doctors. Alongside that, we've made policy changes. So we took a motion to junior doctor's conference in favour of full pay restoration, but also outlining quite serious steps that we need to take to get there. For example, implementing organising training for reps and activists and doing a whole range of other preparation measures that we're going to need to have if we're going to have the strength to demand pay restoration and indeed to win it. So multiple changes 
at multiple levels of the BMA. And of course, the most important change is that we now have hundreds of people engaged in the ideas that pay restoration is necessary, and indeed that pay losses have happened, that pay restoration is necessary, and prepared to speak to their colleagues and organize around it. And that's the most crucial change that's happened actually with Doctors Vote. The ground has changed. Yeah, 100%. When we first started Medics Money, it's sort of doctors are not supposed to talk about money and not want to make more of their money and be smarter with their money. And we were pretty nervous, but we've got great reception to it. And I think it's amazing what you have achieved in such a short time. So you're a doctor, you're listening to this, you want to help. What can doctors listening, because you've got the ear of about 20,000 odd doctors right now, what can doctors do to help you push this through? The main thing right now is to spread the word. You know, we're like you're saying, Tommy, there's lots of people who aren't really aware about this issue. So it's about having those conversations with people in your workplace, outside of your workplace, if you want to, that even though we've had pay increases since 2008, the real terms pay cut, the buying power of our pay is decreasing. And whilst doctors aren't alone in that, there are other industries that that's happening to. The data from the ONS, the Office of National Statistics, show that the majority of the country, or large parts of it at least, have gone back to 2008 levels. So, you know, it is significant what's happening to us. So spreading the word, raising awareness, there's a whole load of infographics on the Doctors Vote website in the Twitter and all of those things. So if you want to follow those and share those around, that would be great. The next kind of steps that doctors vote we're taking are about individual workplace organizations and trying to get people in an individual workplace organized and we need to do things like structure tests which Emma can elaborate a little bit more upon but trying to get an idea of what the support is like because ultimately the end goal is for the BMA to negotiate with the government to give us pay restoration which we deserve and if that doesn't work then the BMA is mandated to call for industrial action and for industrial action to be successful, they need basically enough people need to come to the ballot paper and enough people need to fill out the paper, enough people need to say yes. So we need to spread awareness to get that ball rolling. There's a few other things coming up. There's the junior doctor committee elections in kind of August, September time, which will help put more doctors vote candidates who are pro pay restoration into higher official standings within the BMA to help push this forward. So that's something that can happen. So joining the BMA, spreading the word, speaking to colleagues, yeah, and then casting your vote when it comes and we want people to come in forward and you know just have a chat with us and see if they just want to find out more we've got lots of contact details you can get in touch at various levels as Vivek was pointing out but you know we really want people organizing in the workplace this is how we're going to do this thing it's not going to be with sharing things on twitter and you know it's going to be really talking to really organizing colleagues and the thing i just wanted to add to that was that you know doctors vote will support you in that it's not just uh, we'll sort of leave you in the lurch there's all sorts of training things that we're going to be looking into to getting people on board with telling you the sort of conversations that you need to be having with with colleagues yeah you just got to rally the troops basically you know if you think this is a problem if this is affecting you don't just sit back just help what we found in minutes money just even a tiny little thing before the ward round nothing much going on waiting for someone to turn up just say have you seen doctors vote no i haven't what's it about oh it's about this oh that sounds good where do i find it that kind of word of mouth the solution to the profession's problems lies within the profession there's no doubt about it it's amazing that you guys have started this, but like Medics Money, the Medics Money podcast would just be me and Ed sat chatting to ourselves if people didn't spread the word. So you just got to talk about this. So I'm going to put all those contact details and everything in the show notes so that people can get, you know, get informed about this. So Vivek, doctors are already reasonably well-paid members of society. What would you say to a member of the public who said, you know, you're already earning more than I am. Why do you need a pay rise? So it's a really interesting point because, yeah, sometimes people see the whole year salary of a doctor and think that it is a lot. 
but it's important to remember that junior doctors work well in excess of the average number of hours that the rest of the UK does. We're contracted to work up to 48 hours and most junior doctors work kind of somewhere in between 45 and 48. If you compare that to someone who works an average of 37 and a half hours a week, which is pretty much what the average UK person does, according to the Office of National Statistics, then it's like junior doctors work effectively 70 more days per year. So it's not a fair comparison to just compare a yearly salary of one person on a 48 hour contract compared to someone else who's on a 37 and a half hour contract. And that's why we try and look at the hourly pay, because that's a much more representative and fair way of comparing how someone is paid. Yeah. And there is also this object sort of way of analysing the value that a job has to the NHS, and that's called Agenda for Change. And every other member of staff in the NHS, except for doctors, is on Agenda for Change. We weren't excluded from it. We were asked, it was designed with doctors also in mind, but we took a decision not to go down that path. But the way they value the objective of labour using Agenda for Change is to use the job evaluation scheme. It's this massive document, it's 280 pages long, it goes into things like how many qualifications you need to do the job, how difficult those qualifications are to obtain, how intellectually demanding the job is, how physically demanding, all sorts of different categories. And it drills in real detail into them. And, you know, we've plugged up an F1 using that system and they come out of band seven. Now, band seven has a basic salary. Remember, this is for 37 and a half hours of £40,500. And actually, if I plug my rotor in, I'm ST2, but if I my rotor in as an and it's not particularly arduous rotor it's 43 hours i think on average like one in four one in five weekends something like that pretty standard rotor if you if you plug that in for an f1 they'd be earning in the region of 55 six thousand pounds and st4 we think would be band 8c and you know it's a little bit interpretive people might think we've been over generous i think we were cautious to be very very conservative in how we banded doctors and you know if ST4 comes out at band 8C, they're earning easily in a consultant salary if you put in a doctor's rotor. So, you know, this is an objective standard, an objective measure that says you're not being paid anything like your value. That's exploitation. That's exploitation defined. And, you know, doctors need to wake up to this. You're not being paid anywhere near enough for the value that you're providing to the health service. Yeah, I think there's some helpful comparisons. And for any members of the public listening, as you said, full-time is 37.5 hours a week, right? But NHS full-time <laughs> is nowhere near that, you know, so 40, 48 hours. So we've got to compare apples with apples on full-time work. I'm a part-time GP because I probably only do about 40 hours a week. So yeah, crazy. And the other thing, I guess the traditional retort to what you just said, Tom, is that jam tomorrow, you know, consultant, when you make consultant or GP or when you CCT or whatever, you reach, you know, top career, then you will be well remunerated. But as we just said, consultants have had some consultants, 30% pay count in real terms. So the jam tomorrow is no longer jammy. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, even if people make this sort of criticism saying, oh, you'll be paid better in the future, it's not really how fairness works. You're supposed to be paid for the work you're doing. And that's why Agenda for Change exists. And it's just, just fair, isn't it? I mean, you know, we're doctors. We should be paid more than £14 an hour. Page one, right? We should be paid more than that. The public expect us to be paid more than that. The us probably think that we're earning more than that, actually. But, you know, because we're terrible at looking at money, which is why you guys exist. I think it's a no-brainer. I think we all do know deep down, actually, that we're putting a lot more in than we're seeing it. Just to add to that future earners kind of comment and criticism people have, 
when they say, oh, you'll be earning loads in 10, 20 years or whatever it is, because sometimes it does take that long to get there. You don't just get that for free. You have to work your way to get to the top. You have to show that you are competent. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort, a lot of time outside of your work hours. I've spent so many hours doing my portfolios and audits or all of that stuff in my own time, because that's what's necessary to progress to the next stage. And that next stage comes with added responsibility. So just like Tom said, you might get paid more next year or the year after that or the year after that, but that's because it's an appropriate or at least more than what you were doing now based on the role that you provide at that point. Yeah, absolutely. Let's get into the details because I was a junior doctor in 2016 and we had a very similar situation there. The BMA had a massive mandate of junior doctors who voted to strike and striking for me professionally was one of the hardest things I've ever done because I believed 100% in the reason that we were striking. But you know, we're all doctors because we care about our patients. And it was very tough. But we stood out there on the picket line day after day, the public seemed to support us. And then it just fizzled out to nothing. And lots of people then I know, got really disgruntled with the BMA and left. And so you need to try and get those people back. So why is it different this time? What's going to be different? I think first to address the disgruntlement, the first thing to say is that's completely reasonable. Okay. I was still a medical student, although I was active and I organized demonstrations and a variety of other things, including the meet the doctor stalls in Manchester and all of the variety of patient and trade union outreach we did. But there are lessons to be learned from 2015, 2016. One of them is about communication with membership. So you will remember and others listening will remember that several days of action were cancelled at very short notice on the basis of very flimsy promises from the government negotiation team. I don't think we should make those kinds of mistakes again. I also think that the BMA JDC really didn't have the level of communication with members and the level of organisation of members that was required to tell them that the deal that they did that was rejected was not sufficient. JDC believed that that would be passed. I think that they honestly believed that they thought it was the best that they could get and they did not have a plan for following that and therefore there was a little bit of scrambling as we tried to work out how many people could still be taken on the next step of that action journey how do you do differently to that well you start from a place of better organization so there was quite a lot of build-up at a national level to 2015-2016 we'd withdrawn from negotiations we'd given them warning you know, multiple years of build-up to that contract dispute had happened. And in none of that time did we concentrate on organisation of ground, you know, grassroots members. We're doing it the other way around this time. We want grassroots organisation first and then use the information that we get from that to tell us, are we ready to take industrial action? Last time we had lots of organic structure tests. So people wore the badges, people came on the demonstrations and so on. This time people are going to be far more reluctant to do that. So we need to be really purposeful about the information that we're seeking from members. I think it's going to be much easier for us to know this time because it's a much more simple dispute. It's about pay. It's not about multiple different contract issues. So that's another change. And I think also... There's going to be differences in the BMA structures. So at council, we're going to have a different set of people at JDC. So there's lots to be said that's different. There's lots that's going to be the same, but hopefully it will be the things that are useful. And if we can be a bit more open with our members about what's happening, you know, stop valuing confidentiality over good industrial strategy, then hopefully we will get a better outcome. 
I'm very interested in reaching out to people who have lost their faith in the BMA. We've sent as clear a message as possible that the BMA is changing. And, you know, recently we had a hustings, the first ever hustings that was live streamed for the potential chairs of council. And, you know, they were discussing issues on our agenda very passionately. All of them spoke very well. The problem we had previously, I think, was that the BMA didn't really have very much faith in its membership because they'd send out surveys and people wouldn't fill the surveys in. So the BMA would say, well, look, we're nowhere near ready enough to do any action. But the reason people weren't filling in these surveys is because likewise, they didn't actually have any faith that the BMA were going to do anything. So what's the point? So that was a vicious cycle and something was needed to break that. And the comp one motion that went through conference, which we all sort of got together and wrote, and it sort of commits the BMA to balloting members overpay, clear cut issue, we want full pay restoration or we walk out, achieves that. So it's our job now to work towards the, the building the structure towards that moment. But those ballots will be arriving on people's doorsteps if they're members of the BMA. If they feel the same as us, that we deserve the same as doctors were paid in 2008, they should rejoin the BMA and they should vote yes. And just to add another point to why is it going to be different this time? Not only did the Comp 1 motion involve details about how to achieve pay restoration. There were also motions to improve democracy and transparency within the BMA, because what we want is people like Tom Emma have said, to regain their faith in the BMA. I was also a final year medical student in the 2016 strike, so couldn't strike, but helped. I was at the picket line with the doctors working. And I actually quit my BMA membership after that because I was you know, disillusioned and disappointed with how things panned out. But with the things that have been going on recently, there's a real grassroots movement from people on the floor who want to make the BMA a better place to then make it a better way for junior doctors. So I think it is really important that we try and get that message across as well. Yeah, definitely. I just think it's important to ask that question because I know that's what a lot of people, my kind of age will be thinking you know what's different this time so it's good to hear that i think that's a really comprehensive answer so you go to the government try to negotiate full pay restoration hopefully they see sense value their workforce and recognize the invaluable contribution that doctors make to society and the importance of retention and everything and recruitment in the nhs now is really really difficult but if they don't what's the plan what would a strike look like what would industrial action look like it's a good question and it's still to be worked out really lots of this will depend on how many people we can bring with us and I don't just mean junior doctor members I also mean consultants I also mean other NHS unions so if there's going to be coordination that's going to look very very different and also be more likely to be successful than if we're acting alone if we're acting alone then in my opinion this is not the professed opinion of doctors vote in general or of any other BMA organization in that case I think what we're going to require is all our action from juniors that forces trusts to cover that work by shifting consultants and other senior doctors from elective work. One of the failures last time was that we created strikes which were coverable by just giving up SPA time or similar. But elective activity is where the money is for trusts. So if we can get step-down arrangements to cancel elective activity on the day of strike action and also cancel elective activity coming up because of leave arrangements that come for consultants when they step down and they charge for them as they're entitled to do because it's extra contractual work, then we will hit trusts three times for one day of action. And I hope that that will put trusts under enough pressure to pressure the government to bring their offer in line with our demands. I don't think that's going to be easy in any way, shape or form. And as I say, I think we will be much more successful, probably much quicker if we are able to coordinate with other branches of practice within medicine and also other professions. But that's 
a set of initial ideas. Yeah, I want to get back to that other professions and coordination, but just a quick one. So what do you say to doctors who are worried that if they walk out, their patients will be harmed? Because I know that that is on every doctor's mind. And it was on my mind in 2016. And ultimately, I was satisfied that they would not be harmed. And that's why I stood on the picket line. But I know not everybody feels like that. And what do we say about that? I mean, you were right that nobody came to harm previously. And, you know, the same applies now. We're not in the business of putting patients at harm. Of course, we're not. We're doctors. And, you know, I think it's quite well studied what happened in 2016. 16, actually, there was consultant cover and patients continued to get more care. Our dispute isn't with our patients, it's with the government who undervalue us. Our patients don't undervalue us, we know that. Our patients really highly value us. So our dispute is not with them, it's with the government and we have to make it expensive for the government and that's our leverage. It's not by any stretch of the imagination that we're looking to cause any harm at all. That being said, there is harm that comes from delayed elective care and the responsibility for that is not on strikers. It's on the government who push us into a position where we have to take strike action. So if the government had not consistently cut our pay to the point where some of us have lost a quarter of our pay and consultants even more, then we wouldn't be in a position where we were having to strike for pay restoration. The government could choose to prevent us striking or taking any industrial action by giving us pay restoration. So when they try to guilt doctors and indeed other professions by saying, oh, but patients need you, the answer is, okay, well, then you have the power to stop this happening. Do it. And also, you know, let's look at the harm that's potentially caused by not striking. We know from our daily conversations at work that there's lots of colleagues who are utterly fed up with having to cover rotor gaps in this country because there's only 2.8 doctors per thousand and those doctors are going to leave this country and often it's the more experienced doctors actually who end up leaving the country. We're seeing the harm happen to patients already and pay restoration will solve many of those problems by retaining the talent that we have in this country. We have some of the best doctors in the world in this country and we'd like to keep them in this country. Absolutely yeah I think pay is only one part of how you demonstrate how you value your workforce and some of the other things that I mentioned like accommodation, parking etc other things but you know what you pay your staff is a measure of how you value them and if you consistently cut their pay it's a sign that you do not value them one of many signs that they don't value you in my opinion indeed yeah and just to add that a foundation year one doctor is paid just over 14 pounds per hour and actually i think most of that doctor's patients believe that they probably deserve more than that is that 14 pounds per contracted hour as well because when I was a junior there is no way I was doing my contracted hours doctors consistently go above and beyond their contracted hours for their patients that's the pay for the basic 40 hour working week yeah yeah so that's a, probably an overestimate because mm-hmm. I don't know any junior doctor who leaves at exactly the right time okay our colleagues in the NHS nurses physios porters consultants have all suffered the same i mean consultants i think they say an average 30% loss in 10 years so your campaign is just about juniors or is there going to be a possibility of collaboration? Because I think you're right. If you collaborated and worked together, that could send out an extremely powerful message. The doctor's vote is for all doctors. The pay campaign is we hope will be for all doctors. Consultant policy in the BMA is not currently for pay restoration. But I hope after the annual representative meeting next week that it will be. We're taking a motion for pay restoration to become universal BMA policy across all four nations and all branches of practice. But doctor's vote has influence within the BMA. That's our trade union. So that's our immediate focus. We hope that other health professionals in their own trade unions will also organise in a similar way to the way that we have for their pay demands. We're seeing much smaller pay demands from 
Royal College of Nursing and the other health unions, Unison Unite and so on. But if they're prepared to take action on that, then we should seek to coordinate. Absolutely, we should seek to coordinate. There is a possibility for clever action to be seriously effective with minimal loss to individuals' pay. So for example, you could shut down an operating theatre for a whole week. If surgeons took action one day, scrub nurses took action the next day, cleaners took action the next day, ODPs took action the next day, and so on. So that kind of coordination would be possible if we are prepared to work together and if all unions get as organized as we are attempting to do. Awesome. Okay. So I love this. It's an absolute pleasure to help you in any way possible. And hopefully this will help. Let's just say, I hope it works, right? But if it doesn't work, what are the risks to doctors, patients, and the NHS? I suppose there's the immediate risks of organizing and taking trade union action, many of which are mitigated by lots of you doing it together. But where people act alone or are unable to get lots of colleagues on side, they they face victimization. Trade union victimization is common, not just in the NHS, but everywhere else. If we get to the point where we're taking industrial action, loss of pay is associated with strike action. You don't get paid when you don't go to work on strike action. And that's really why it's crucial that action is effective and that we win. We don't waste our day having no achievements. That's wasteful for everybody. In the longer term, the picture is far more complex. And Tom's already mentioned issues about retention, and the impact on the NHS long term of consistently devaluing the wages of doctors and also other NHS workers. And that's that they go elsewhere. We're already seeing band five nurses disappear because they can work for more at Aldi in a less stressful job. We're already at a point where people are looking at leaving medicine or going abroad in relatively small numbers. We are looking in much bigger numbers at people leaving training to locum for much closer to what they're worth. And if we continue down this path of consistently devaluing not just pay, but everything else, we'll end up in a situation where it's really unsustainable to run the services that patients and the public require. Yeah. And I think the workforce figures in the NHS bear that out. I think there's 93,000 vacancies in the NHS as of June 2021, up 23% in that year. So yeah, it's already starting. And you already alluded to it as well, that people are retiring early cutting down their sessions and yeah i think you know this is big okay anything else that you wanted to cover that we didn't cover because i could talk about this all day because i'm a big fan of it and i really hope that it works but what did we miss just on what you just said there really i mean we hear about these figures all the time these big sort of tens of thousands of people i think we're fifty thousand doctors short but we have experience of what that means on the front line and that means routinely covering a rotor gap where there's no doctor doing a job and you're having to do their job as well. And obviously doing the job of a, a singer is sort of you know, fairly widely recognised to be quite difficult. Doing the job of two is impossible. And we're not getting any extra payment for that. We're not even often getting managers saying thank you for doing it. Actually, they don't even say thank you. It's just expected. You know, so this restorative pay rise is really the very least we should be asking for. We are asking for the full restoration. I think it's totally fair because, you know, the overall deal that the public is getting out of its doctors is phenomenal. There's so few of us that actually the overall bill for the work that we provide, doing the job of two doctors frequently. We're great value for money. We deserve every penny of this pay restoration. I think also for some individual doctors, 
the impact is going to be pretty devastating. So quite a lot of us are still quite comfortable. So I live in the Northwest in a relatively low cost of living area. I don't have any dependent adults or children who rely on me. I have a very supportive family who were able to help me to some degree through university, though I still have a huge amount of debt. Other people are not in that context. Other people live in much higher cost of living areas or have nursery fees to pay or other childcare costs, particularly people who are working really complicated rotor patterns where sometimes they might need overnight childcare or they have disabled dependents or they come from backgrounds where, you know, their parents can't support themselves, let alone them as well. So those people are already beginning to feel the pinch. And if we continue down this path where inflation outpaces our wages so rapidly, many more of us will feel not just the pinch, but we'll have to start making hard choices. And I think all people, but especially all doctors, deserve a life which is comfortable, deserve a life that has both value at work, but also has enjoyment outside of work, that has culture or sport, where you're able to raise a family, And at the moment, we're rapidly moving towards a situation where that's not possible, even for doctors in this country, which is one of the most obscene things about the economy in this country. So for individuals, particularly individuals who've got financial commitments, whether that's debt or children or family or whatever, loss is not an option. And I think that in doctors vote, we're not really interested in losing only interested in winning and we're going to do whatever it takes to get us there just to add to what you're saying there that if these real terms pay cuts continue of course they will absolutely they will the government couldn't have made that indication any clearer to us during a pandemic when we were risking our lives you know risking our family's health without adequate ppe we don't need to go into that because it's a question of fairness but you know we were risking our lives they cut our pay while the general public were clapping us in the street and cheering us they cut our pay twice during the pandemic. There can be no clearer indication that this is going to continue until we take action. And I really implore people to get involved with this. It's really now or never. Yeah, I actually don't think that that is an over-dramatisation. It does feel like now or never for all the reasons that you mentioned. And those people that are already struggling are the canaries in the coal mine. And that will be all of us if this carries on. So we had to record this late in the evening because everyone's working, etc. It's usual doctor schedules. But thank you so much for everything that you're doing. Thank you for your time on the podcast. I'll put all the links down below. But just one more time, if this first time someone's heard about you, they want to get involved, where's the one place to go to find out? I think probably the best place to start would be www.doctorsvote.org. Perfect. Okay. Thank you so much for your time. I really hope this helps. I think, as I said, the solution to this problem lies within the profession, but the profession needs to unite behind this. And I do think this could be crunch time because if it doesn't work, yeah, I don't think the scenario that you just outlined is overdramatic. So I wish you the best of luck. Maybe come give us an update on the podcast sometime soon. We'll push this out on our email list as well. But thank you so much, guys. Thanks for having us. Very welcome. It's been a pleasure.